You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Today's passage is in Genesis 41, 25 to 57. It's page 24 in the chairback Bibles in front of you. Let's read. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean, the seven lean ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east winds are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, all the, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the, fi- of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and send him out over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the foods in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is, no, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves around as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he sent over the land, all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of, the Pharaoh, of, of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food in these seven years, which, occur, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put these foods in cities, in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it and joseph stored up grain in abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it for it could not be measured before the year of famine came two sons were born to joseph 
Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called them, called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has, God has made me forget all hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for, he, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph said, there was, there was famine in all lands, but in all the, the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over the earth. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd be able to help Jeremy deliver the word effectively today, and that um, you would uh, protect this church and protect the uh, members in it. Uh, from any outside dangers, and uh, moreover, that uh, you would uh, lead us away from sin and into your light. In God's name we pray, amen. Thank you, Meech. So a doctor called his patient. Patient answered, doctor said, hey, appreciate you coming in the other day. Got results for you. There's good news and bad news. The patient steadied himself and said, thanks, doctor. What's the good news? Doctor said, or excuse me, I'm going to mess it up from the beginning. Doctor calls and he says, I've got good news and bad news. He says, okay, here's the good news. Here's your good news. You have 24 hours to live. Good news, buddy, you got 24 hours. Patient says, good news, 24 hours, this is what I got? If this is the good news, what's the bad news? Doctor said, I tried calling you yesterday and you didn't pick up. <laughs> have you ever noticed in our world we have good news, we have bad news, and the news often is presented in that way. Hey, we've got some good news, we've got some bad news. And while you and I love the good side, inevitably we get the bad, and it's why people say that to us. And evidently, some of you actually like to hear the good news first and then finish with the bad. I'm so confused by anyone who says... Would you like the good news first or the bad news first? Why are you even asking me that question? It's always bad news. Follow it with the good news. You don't eat ice cream before your veggies, okay? I always Give me the p kids. Eat your peas, then you get dessert. That's the way the world works. You get, some of you like it the other way, okay. As does the evening news. Maybe you've noticed this. The evening news, they love to give you all the bad news, and then they finish it with the good news. 
All the bad news, finish it with the good news. So it's like 57 minutes of soul-destroying content of how the world is in a nuclear waste factory and it's all going to be gone. And then like the last three minutes, we want to show you these kids who are doing a lemonade stand and supporting puppies in war-torn Ukraine and aren't they pretty and don't you like puppies? Man, that was a good news program, honey. Let's be sure to tune in next time. So I suppose some folks try to soften the bad news with good news. But there are times when I find myself thinking, and maybe you do too, that, that the bad news, the bad news is so disproportionate from the good news. We've got, we've got all of this bad news out here, and then somebody gives us the good news, and it's not so different than the medical doctor who's like, oh, the good news is, is actually not that good at all. What? Why is it, whether it's on the evening news, I get all the bad, and, and I, they finish with this little good, but it just doesn't make up for it. Or maybe you felt like this with a family member that has something to share with you. It's good news, bad news. And it's like, man, that bad, these are not equivalent. It can feel like the bad news is winning. Why is it? There's just so much bad. And why don't all the bad things go away? Is there coming a day when the bad actually gets defeated and the good triumphs? Is there a day when we don't have to listen to the bad news of a famine or the scary news that's circling our world and we could just enjoy some good news? Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody came up to you and said, would you like to hear the good news? Or would you like the good news? Which do you want first? Give me that news program. We're going to begin today's news segment with good news, and we're going to finish with some good news. In the middle, tune in, more good news. This morning, we're in Genesis chapter 41. And as we do here at this church, we find ourselves marching through the scriptures. Our heart is to allow the scriptures to tell us what God has said. So we're looking at the text, extracting from it what it says, and we find in this chapter bad news, and we find good news. Bad news and good news, so this is going to dominate our sermon today. But different than the evening news, the good news in our text is actually way better than the bad news. We, we live in a world that's always this way. The bad news is crushing us. There's just a little bit of good news. Today, it's opposite in our text. The good news is so good, we're going to want to celebrate and share it. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Genesis 41? I want to walk us through this with our time that we have in three movements. And we're going to see bad news, good news. Big idea number one, if you're taking notes, you might write this down. Bad news, the world doesn't understand God's plan. It's the bad news we see in the text. The world doesn't understand God's plan, and I, I draw this especially from verses 1 to 32. Here in Genesis 41, if, you, if, if you're new to us, we have been tracking the life of Joseph. He was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery by his awful brothers. They lied to his dad. He ended up in this guy named Potiphar's house. 
Then Potiphar's wife falsely accused him, puts Joseph in jail. That was 11 years of his life. Look at verse 1, Genesis 41. After two more years, Joseph's now 30 years old. 17 when he came to Egypt. He's now 30. 13 years of bad news for Joseph. That's a lot of bad news. That's a long old time to be suffering unjustly. Despite the length, God is moving and working. There at the end of verse 1, do you notice? Pharaoh, that's the king of Egypt, most powerful man. Egypt is the world power at this point in history. Pharaoh has a weird dream. In fact, he has two weird dreams. One about some skinny cows eating some fatty cows. One about some skinny corns of ears eating some fatty corns of ears. And if you or I had that dream, just figure we need to get together and eat some cheeseburgers off the grill and have some corn on the cob. That's what that dream means to me. Not Pharaoh. Verse 8. Look at verse 8. Pharaoh struggling with this dream. The text says he's troubled. Pharaoh's working perhaps off his intuition and his gut tells him, I don't know what these dreams mean, but it is bad news. It's bad news. I just need to know what the news is. Now, I found it interesting in my study. You may have already known this. Pharaoh was considered divine. And being that Pharaoh was divine, it is really weird he would ask for help to interpret his dreams. Well, you're divine, bro. It's like the cook asking for somebody to make him a sandwich. Pharaoh should know what his dreams meant, but he didn't. And I like the way one of the commentators makes this point, Watke. He says, the Pharaoh regarded as a god is powerless and afraid. We're just a few verses in. We see the bad news. Pharaoh doesn't know what his scary dreams mean. And he believed, as they all would have, that dreams were a way that the gods would communicate with humans. And we can appreciate why Pharaoh then is desperate to know, what does the dream mean? Verse 9, good news. The chief cupbearer to the rescue. The chief cupbearer, which you may remember from last chapter, all of a sudden remembers, there's this Hebrew slave sitting in jail who can do this thing. Pharaoh, he actually interpreted a dream to me. I bet he can do it for you. Naturally then, look at verse 14. Pharaoh says, I want to meet this guy. They clean up Joseph quite quickly. Joseph gets up in front of Pharaoh. Now, now keep this in mind. 13 years Joseph has been in a bad spot. 13 years of bad news. And now he is going to have an audience with the most powerful world leader. What's he going to say? Pharaoh looks at him. Hey, I hear you can interpret dreams. Look what Joseph says. 16b. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. 
Joseph, 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 bro, this is your 10 minutes of fame, man. This is the time to shine. This is the time to be like, bada boom, bada bing, bada bang, Pharaoh, I got an answer for you. Not Joseph. He just goes, hey, man, I got nothing. But God has something for you. God can give you a favorable answer. You see Joseph's humility? He doesn't take any credit. He's given the credit away. So Pharaoh still wants his answer. Verse 17 to 24, Pharaoh explains his two dreams. And then verse 25, Joseph interprets what the cow and the corn dream means. End of verse 25, Joseph says, These dreams are indeed a message from God, Pharaoh. And as Pharaoh hears them, he realizes there's good news, there's bad news. That's the message. Good news. You're going to have seven years of incredible crops. Agriculturally speaking, you're going to have incredibly high yields. Seven years. For you investment folks, it's like he was saying, the stock market's going to triple. But then after those seven good years, bad news. A famine is coming. And the famine is going to be so bad, look in the text, that some of the people are actually going to forget they ever had it good. Man, that's a bad famine. That you wouldn't even go, well, we did have seven good years. They're not even going to be doing that. That's how bad the famine is going to be. Joseph continues, verse 32. Pharaoh, you had a double dream, which means from God, it's going to happen. This thing is fixed. Lock it in. Be prepared. Seven years of good, seven years of bad. And that brings us to the end of our first section. And what I want us to consider here, what I'm wanting you to see, is how lost Pharaoh was before Joseph shows up. Notice how clueless Pharaoh is without God's man sharing God's plan. Pharaoh doesn't have a clue. And in a similar way, the original audience of Genesis. Remember, Genesis was written to the Israelites as, on, as, as they're preparing to enter the promised land. They were also lost and, and clueless. You might remember that these Israelites, on the verge of entering the promised land, they had been in Egypt in slavery without any idea of what God was doing, crying out to God, waiting. They didn't have God's man, Moses, they didn't have an idea of who, of what God's plan was. The Israelites themselves, our original audience, were clueless. And here then is what we have in common with them. Just like Pharaoh in this first section, and just like the Israelites, we have no clue in and of ourselves what God's plan is. None of us on our own know what God's plan is. And this is bad news. Our world doesn't understand God's plan. Bad news. You and I, on our own, don't. And of course, it's not that anybody's stupid or you're not trying hard enough. Like Pharaoh, our world, maybe some of us in here, man, we're doing the best we can. I'm trying to make sense of these troubled times. I'm trying to make sense of the sign and 
Sure, there are all these modern magicians and wise men we might ask for their advice. We, we try to make sense of God's plan, but no one on their own has any idea of what God is doing. And if you're here this morning and you don't consider yourself a Christian, chances are this is completely true for you. You don't understand God's plan. Why is everything seeming to go to... What is wrong with our world? Why is everything so awful? You don't understand God's plan. Our culture seems to celebrate what Scripture forbids. So many things seem to be going down the drain. This is the bad news. Good news for us is this. There is a man who knows what God is up to. Good news for the Israelites stuck in slavery. There was a man who knew God's plan of rescue. Good news for Pharaoh. God's sending a man to communicate God's plan. But what about us? Might God be sending us a man that would tell us of his plan? Before we answer that, we need to consider a second piece of bad news we got to deal with. Move with me to the second section in our text. It's more bad news. The world needs a savior to survive. World needs a savior to survive. Let me show you that I didn't make up this point. It's coming right out of the text from verses 33 to 52. Lean back in in verse 33. Joseph, he takes a huge risk. Having interpreted Pharaoh's dream, Joseph takes the initiative to suggest to Pharaoh a plan moving forward. Look at verses 35 to 37. Joseph comes up with a math equation for solving the incoming seven-year famine. And I find it so fascinating that Joseph somehow was able to just come to this conclusion... Uh, seven-year famine, carry the one. Uh, 20% of annual crops, we'll put that in a grainer, and that'll be enough to get us through. Where'd that guy take math class? <laughs> you, some of you can do it. I find that sort of math in your head fascinating. Pharaoh is clearly impressed. Look there at the end of verse 37. So much so that he says in verse 38, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh realizes quickly, there's nobody like Joseph right now in Egypt who can do this. Good grief. Pharaoh had already asked his magicians and wise men to help him out with a dream. They couldn't even help him with the dream. How are they going to help him with the famine? But Joseph, with the Spirit of God, he's capable. So verse 39, Pharaoh realizing the bad news his country is facing appoints Joseph, and you might remember, Joseph was number two back in his household before he was sold into slavery. He turned into number two in Potiphar's house. He gets thrown in the king's prison. Remember what number he got there? Two. So we're not surprised. Now in Egypt, number two. Although the perks in Egypt are a little bit better. Look in the text. He gets the equivalent of what seems to be a limousine and secret service detail, verses 42 to 44. 
When, when Joseph rolls by in the limo, so to speak, folks are told to bow the knee. That Joseph's turned into a big dog. Verse 45, Joseph's assimilation into Egypt is completed which is with his marriage to Asenath. Continuing on, look at 46 to 49. Joseph does what he has been hired to do. And his 20% plan works so well that in verse 49, they can't even count how much grain they're storing. Verse 50 to 52. One year before the famine will hit. More good news for Joseph. His wife has two kids. And like his common in Genesis, these two names have deep meaning. And it's the mention of these kids that form a pivot point in this chapter as we learn that Manasseh's means, name means God has made me forget my hardship and my home. And Ephraim's name means God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. A good summary for Joseph's life in Egypt so far. It's a fitting conclusion to this second section. Dear church, do you see the bad news here and the good news? Pharaoh's responding to tragic news of a coming famine, and he's able to realize, I can set my country up for success by hiring Joseph. Pharaoh knew, we got this famine, and we need somebody to save us. Here again, a similarity with the Israelites who this book was written to. Israelites, they needed a savior to survive as well. The Israelites in Egypt, they are helpless and powerless to save themselves. This leads us to what we have in common with the Egyptians and Pharaoh in our scripture with the Israelites. Here's what we have in common with them today. It's the bad news. We need a savior to survive. We need a savior to survive. Pastor, I've been in church all my life. Why is that bad news? Because none of us want to admit it. We want to think we're good enough and strong enough and smart enough and quick enough with mathematics that we can come up with equation to save ourselves. You're wrong. It's bad news. You can't save yourself. We may want to put our trust in modern-day magicians and wise men, but they're powerless. We're powerless. None of us can save ourselves on our own. We all need a Savior. God, he sent Joseph to the Egyptians. God sent Moses to the enslaved Israelites. Good news for us. God has sent his man with his plan to save us. It's good news. And, and in Joseph and Moses, we find a pattern. Do you see it? Joseph starts off high, number two in his house. He is humiliated and brought low. And then he's exalted once again. Moses. Remember where Moses was born? Way up there on the food chain. He is in Pharaoh's house. High and lifted up as an adopted son, he is brought low and humiliated. But then Moses is brought back up. Does that remind you of God's man? The Savior God has sent our world 
he began exalted and lifted up. Part of the Trinity. From eternity past, he and God the Father and God the Spirit just looking at each other and just saying, you awesome. You're, no, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. Just perfect unity, glory, transcendence, incredible. They wanted for nothing. They needed nothing else. And yet, out of love for the world, the second member of the Trinity puts on flesh and is incarnated here. Philippians 2. Jesus Christ came to earth and he was utterly humiliated. Who was humiliated more than Jesus Christ on the cross? But then exaltation. Resurrection. Ascension to the right hand of God where he is right now. And one day he's coming back, Philippians 2, and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. Jesus is the savior of the world. Commentator Watke writes about Genesis 41. The salvation of the world in Genesis 41 depends on on one descendant of the patriarchs. The patriarchs are Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. And in the middle of a famine, the salvation of the world depends on one of God's selected people. And so it is the same for us today. The salvation of our world depends on a descendant of the patriarch. Patriarchs, a descendant who came many years after Joseph, one who perfectly accomplished the purposes of God. And while the bad news for us today is that we need a Savior, the best news of all for us today is that for any who bow the knee to Jesus Christ, God's chosen Savior, you can be saved. Saved, Pastor? Yes. But saved from what? One final piece of bad news to consider from our text. Move with me to our third and final idea. Third and final piece of bad news. Bad news, the world is facing famine. This is bad news. Brings us to the end of our scripture. In our text, just as God predicted through Pharaoh, it's a dream that famine was coming, and just as Joseph interpreted, the seven years of plenty have ended. Verse 54, there is famine in all the land. But in Egypt, there is bread. For any who are feeling famished in Egypt, they go to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, we're famished. Look what Pharaoh tells them to do. Go to Joseph. Do what Joseph says. Verse 56, Joseph opens his storehouses, begins to sell grain to the Egyptians. Verse 57, not only does Joseph's plan save Egyptians, but look in the text. All the earth. All the earth. All the nations are coming to Egypt to buy grain, bringing us to the end of Genesis 41. Notice then. In the face of the awful news of famine, God has a plan to save the world through Abraham's family. The salvation of the world depends on a descendant of the patriarchs. This calls to mind Genesis 12, which I realize it's been a while since we preached through Genesis 12, but you might remember this crucial promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis 12. He said, I'm going to bless you, that you would be a blessing 
to all the world. Abraham, you are blessed to be a blessing, and through your offspring, I'm going to bless all the nations. Here we are in our text, and all the nations are getting blessed with bread. To all who would come to God's man and do what God's man says, they could be saved. So just as God was literally saving people through the world in Genesis 41, so he continues to save his people. Just like when the Israelites faced famine during their exodus to the promised land. If we follow the story of Moses and the Israelites who this was written to, remember we find God providing manna to hungry people. Bread, food, and so it is for us today. Dear friends, you and I may not be literally facing famine, but we live in a world that is spiritually famished. Just look at your friends' lives. Look around at your neighbors, family members who don't know Jesus. They're just dying from spiritual hunger shoving in whatever they can find, but it doesn't fill their bellies. They're malnourished. They're starving and looking to satisfy their spiritual hunger. And this is the bad news then that is, that is true for our world. We live in spiritual famine. But the good news, God, has enough to spiritually feed all the world. He's got, he's got grain houses overpouring with nourishment that will never go empty. You, could, you can have an all-you-can-eat buffet with Jesus and there's still plenty for the rest of the world. This satisfaction, the spiritual nourishment our world wants, it comes through God's man, and it's God's plan. God sent his son into our world to be for us the bread of life. John 6, 35 comes to mind. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Dear church, do you see the parallels from our scripture to us today? If you will go, to God's man and obey what that man says salvation Christian in view of this text today we have hope we have the chosen ancestor from the line of Abraham the one whom Abraham and, and Joseph and Moses ultimately point to God has provided for our spiritual hunger in Jesus Christ we finished our text. Let's consider three applications. If you're taking notes, would you write this one down, please? The first application, the primary application of this sermon, believe. Believe. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're just checking this thing out. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. I hope you come back. Maybe your friend is big on this Jesus thing. Maybe you're a kid and your mom and dad are big on this Jesus thing. Whatever the case is, if you're here and you're not a Christian, what, here's what you got to do. You got to come to terms with the bad news. You got to believe the bad news. Because if you, if you don't believe the bad news, the good news doesn't mean a thing. Believe. Believe, friend. You need somebody to save you. 
believe. You're starving for spiritual sustenance. Believe you're only going to satisfy your deep cravings in the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, that's what our text ultimately points to. The true and better Joseph, who according to God's plan and foreknowledge, that'd be Acts 2.23, came and lived the perfect life you and I could not. Jesus, the perfect God-man, came as a substitute for our sin. And if we believe, if we really believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. If, if we repent of our sins and trust in him, you can be saved. But you've got to believe the bad news. You've got to believe the good news. If we were to borrow from the words of Pharaoh, dear friend, bow the knee. When God's man comes by, bow the knee. Believe Jesus is who he says he is. As Pharaoh says, go to God's man and do what God's man says. That's how you find salvation. If you're here and you have more questions about God's plan for you, if you want to know more about God's man, we'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. Just come up and tell me. We want you to we want you to understand God's plan of salvation. We want you to believe. That's application one. Application two, aimed especially at you who are Christians. Application two, rejoice. <laughs> rejoice. There is great news in our text. And in the face of all the bad news that the world throws at us, rejoice in the great hope you have. Famine is around us, and yet we have more than enough. See, Christian, God's ways have been revealed. And, and we wouldn't know God's plan and God's man if God hadn't come and told us. But rejoice. We know. We know what's happening. We know what's gone wrong. We know what the solution is. And we have more than just this particular and crucial point. We have all of God's plan. You can know his whole plan. You can even know how it ends. Good news. We win. <laughs> rejoice. Rejoice. What we needed is a Savior. We needed a Savior. And he's provided us one. We're hungry. He's got more than enough for us. We don't have to face starvation. The bread of life has come for all who hunger. From Isaiah 55, 1, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus' salvation is enough to feed the whole world. Amen. The good news is far outweighing the bad news. Rejoice. And what's more? There's a day coming, Revelation 21.5, where Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And in the new heavens and the new earth, there is coming a day when God will say, or when, when we could say to each other, like a thousand years from now when, when God's reigning, we could say to each other, hey, would you like the good news or would you like the good news? That day's coming. It gives us hope in this day and it gives us a chance to rejoice. There's coming a day when there's only going to be good news. Honey, let's watch the news tonight. I'd really like to hear a lot of good news. Here at the 6 o'clock news, we have 27 items of good news. We'd love to report with you. Final application, 
my final charge. Share this news. Go share this news. We live in a world that is lost and clueless, a world they don't even know they're enslaved. If you were to ask them, hey, are you in slavery? Are you starving? They, many of our friends wouldn't even realize it. They know they're hungry. Figure they can fill themselves, I guess. Just like Pharaoh was lost and clueless, just like the Israelites were lost and clueless in Egypt, that's, we live in a world with family, friends, and neighbors. They don't know God's man. They don't know God's plan. Who's going to tell them? If you're here and you know who Christ is, our friends need to know. Like one beggar showing another beggar where you found food. That's all we do. You ask your friends, are you hungry? Well, I know where to find food. Let me tell you about him. Let's be the people who share God's good news. Let's pray for our friends and neighbors. Let's share with our friends and neighbors. Let's connect with our friends and neighbors. Here at our church, we try to talk through what we call the BLESS rhythms. You can see it out here on a board as you leave. B-L-E-S-S -S is an acronym for how we encourage everybody to relate to a person who doesn't know Jesus. We're not trying to overwhelm anybody. We're not trying to add one more piece of law for legalistic obedience. We just encourage everybody to pick one friend who you don't think knows Jesus and then bless them. B stands for be prayerful. You don't do anything else. Pray for them by name. L, listen to them, ask good questions. E, try to not find an opportunity to eat with them, take them to coffee just to get to know them. S, serve them. The final S, share. This isn't law. Your salvation isn't contingent on if you have a blessed friend. It's just a simple way for us to think about, I'd like to see somebody come to know Jesus. I love this neighbor. I love this family member. Well, let's seek to bless them. God's blessed us to be a blessing. Dear friend, there's so much bad news in the world. Let's be the kind of people who share good news. Believe, rejoice, share it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the chance then to communicate your word. It's a gift. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would move in power. Spirit, give us what we need from your word. Fill us. Nourish us. For those who don't know you, Holy Spirit, you save it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.